Chapter 46 Days that follow are darker. Rarely do the liars want to go anywhere. Mirren has a sore throat and body aches. She stays mainly in Cuddletown. She paints pictures to hang in the hallways and makes rows of shells along the edges of the countertops. Dishes pile in the sink and on the coffee table. DVDs and books are in messy stacks all over the great room. The beds lie unmade and the bathrooms have a damp, mildewy smell. Johnny eats cheese with his fingers and watches British TV comedies. One day he collects a row of old tea bags, soggy ones, and tosses them into a mug filled with orange juice. What are you doing? I ask. Biggest splash gets the most points. But why? My mind works in mysterious ways, says Johnny. I find underhand is generally the best technique. I help him figure out a point system. Five points for a sprinkle, ten for a puddle, twenty for a decorative pattern on the wall behind the mug. We go through a whole bottle of fresh squeezed juice. When he's done, Johnny leaves the mug and the mangled, leaking tea bags where they lie. I don't clean up either. Gat has a list of the hundred greatest novels ever written, and he's pushing his way through whatever he's been able to find on the island. He marks them with sticky notes and reads passages aloud. Invisible Man, A Passage to India, The Magnificent Ambersons. I only half pay attention when he reads, because Gat has not kissed me or reached out to me since we agreed to act normal. I think he avoids being alone with me. I avoid being alone with him too, because my whole body sings to be near him, because every moment, every movement he makes is charged with electricity. I often think of putting my arms around him or running my fingers along his lips. When I let my thoughts go there, if for a moment Johnny and Mirren are out of sight, if for even a second we are alone, the sharp pain of unrequited love invites the migraine in. These days, she is a gnarled crone, touching the raw flesh of my brain with her cruel fingernails. She pokes my exposed nerves, exploring whether she'll take up residence in my skull. If she gets in, I'm confined to my bedroom for a day or maybe two. We eat lunch on the roof most days. I suppose they do it when I'm ill, too. Every now and then, a bottle rolls off the roof and the glass smashes. In fact, there are shards and shards of splintered glass, sticky with lemonade, all over the porch. Flies buzz around, attracted by the sugar. Chapter 47 End of the second week, I find Johnny alone in the yard, building a structure out of Lego pieces he must have found at Redgate. I've got pickles, cheese straws, and leftover grilled tuna from the new Claremont kitchen. We decide not to go on the roof since it's just the two of us. We open the containers and line them up on the edge of the dirty porch. Johnny talks about how he wants to build Hogwarts out of Lego, or a Death Star, or wait, even better is a Lego tuna fish to hang in New Claremont now that none of Grandad's taxidermy is there anymore. That's it. Too bad there's not enough Lego on this stupid island for a visionary project such as his. Why didn't you call or email after my accident? I asked. I hadn't planned to bring it up. The words spring out. Okay, Dee. I feel stupid asking, but I want to know. 
You don't want to talk about Lego tuna fish instead, Johnny vamps. I thought maybe you were annoyed with me about those emails. The ones I sent asking about Gat. No, no, Johnny wipes his hands on his t-shirt. I disappeared because I'm an asshole, Because I don't think through my choices. And I've seen too many action movies and I'm kind of a follower. Really? I don't think that about you. It's an undeniable fact. You weren't mad. I was just a stupid fuck, but not mad, never mad. I'm sorry, Cadence. Thanks. He picks up a handful of Legos and starts fitting them together. Why did Gat disappear? Do you know? Johnny sighs. That's another question. He told me I don't know the real him. Could be true. He doesn't want to discuss my accident or what happened with us that summer. He wants us to act normal and like nothing happened. Johnny's lined his Legos up in stripes, blue, white and green. Gat had been shitty to that girl Raquel by starting up with you. He knew it wasn't right and he hated himself for that. Okay. He didn't want to be that kind of guy. He wants to be a good person. And he was really angry that summer about all kinds of things. When he wasn't there for you, he hated himself even more. You think? I'm guessing, says Johnny. Is he going out with anyone? Ah, Katie, says Johnny. He's a pretentious ass. I love him like a brother, but you're too good for him. Go find yourself a nice Vermont guy with muscles like Drake Loggerhead. (laughs) Then he cracks up laughing. You're useless. I can't deny it, he answers. But you've got to stop being such a mush ball. Chapter 48 Giveaway Charmed Life by Diana Wynne Jones. It's one of the Crestomancy stories Mummy read to me and Gat the year we were eight. I've reread it several times since then, but I doubt Gat has. I open the book and write on the title page For Gat, with everything. Everything, Katie. I head to Cuddletown early the next morning, stepping over old teacups and DVDs. I knock on Gad's bedroom door. No answer. I knock again, then push it open. It used to be Taft's room. It's full of bears and model boats, plus Gat-like piles of books. Empty bags of potato chips, cashews crushed underfoot, half-full bottles of juice and soda, CDs, the scrabble box with most of its tiles spilled across the floor. It's as bad as the rest of the house, if not worse. Anyway, he's not there. He must be at the beach. I leave the book on his pillow. Chapter 49 That night, Gat and I find ourselves alone on the roof of Cuddletown. Mirren felt sick and Johnny took her downstairs for some tea. Voices and music float from New Claremont, where the aunts and granddad are eating blueberry pie and drinking port. The littles are watching a movie in the living room. Gat walks the slant of the roof, all the way down to the gutter and up again. It seems dangerous, so easy to fall. 
but he is fearless. Now is when I can talk to him. Now is when we can stop pretending to be normal. I'm looking for the right words, the best way to start. Suddenly he climbs back to where I'm sitting in three big steps. You're very, very beautiful, Katie, he says. It's the moonlight, makes all the girls look pretty. I think you're beautiful always and forever. He's silhouetted against the moon. Have you got a boyfriend in Vermont? Of course I don't. I have never had a boyfriend except for him. My boyfriend is named Perset, I say. We're very close. I even went to Europe with him last summer. God, Gat is annoyed, stands and walks back down the edge of the roof. Joking. Gat's back is to me. You say we shouldn't feel sorry for you, yes. But then you come out with these statements. My boyfriend is named Perseset, or I stared at the base of the blue Italian toilet, and it's clear you want everyone to feel sorry for you. And we would, I would, but you have no idea how lucky you are. My face flushes. He's right. I do want people to feel sorry for me. I do. And then I don't. I do, and then I don't. I'm sorry, I say. Harris sent you to Europe for eight weeks. You think he'll ever send Johnny or Mirren? No. And he wouldn't send me, no matter what. Just think before you complain about stuff other people would love to have. I flinch. Grandad sent me to Europe. Come on, says Gat, bitter. Did you really think your father paid for that trip? I know immediately that he is telling the truth. Of course Dad didn't pay for the trip. There's no way he could have. College professors don't fly first class and stay in five-star hotels. So used to summers on Beechwood, to endlessly stocked pantries and multiple motorboats and a staff quietly grilling steaks and washing linens. I didn't even think about where that money might be coming from. Grandad sent me to Europe. Why? Why wouldn't Mummy go with me if the trip was from a gift from Grandad? And why would Dad even take that money from Grandfather? You have a life stretching out in front of you with a million possibilities, Gat says. It, it grates on me when you ask for sympathy, that's all. Gat. My Gat. He is right. He is. But he also doesn't understand. I know no one's beating me, I say, feeling defensive all of a sudden. I know I have plenty of money and a good education, food on the table. I'm not dying of cancer. Lots of people have it much worse than I. And I do know I was lucky to go to Europe. I shouldn't complain about it or be ungrateful. Okay then. But listen, you have no idea what it feels like to have headaches like this. No idea. It hurts, I say, and I realise tears are running down my face, though I'm not sobbing. It makes it hard to be alive some days. A lot of times I wish I were dead. I truly do, just to make the pain stop. You do not, he says harshly. You do not wish you were dead. Don't say that. I just want the pain to be over, I say. On the days the pills don't work, 
I wanted to end and I would do anything, really anything, if I knew for sure it would end the pain. There is a silence. He walks down to the bottom edge of the roof, facing away from me. What do you do then? What's it like? Nothing. I lie there and wait and remind myself over and over that it doesn't last forever. That there will be another day and after that yet another day. One of those days I'll get up and eat breakfast and feel okay. Another day. Yes. Now he turns and bounds up the roof in a couple of steps. Suddenly his arms are around me and we are clinging to each other. He's shivering slightly as he kisses my neck with cold lips. We stay like that, enfolded in each other's arms, for a minute or two. And it feels like the universe is reorganising itself. And I know my anger we felt has disappeared. Gat kisses me on the lips and touches my cheek. I love him. I've always loved him. We stay up there on the roof for a very, very long time. Forever. Chapter 50. Mirren has been getting ill more and more often. She gets up late, paints her nails, lies in the sun and stares at pictures of African landscapes in a big coffee table book. But she won't snorkel, won't sail, won't play tennis or go to Edgartown. I bring her jelly beans from New Claremont. Mirren loves jelly beans. Today she and I lie out on the tiny beach. We read magazines I stole from the twins and eat baby carrots. Mirren has headphones on. She keeps listening to the same song over and over on my iPhone. Our youth is wasted. We will not waste it. Remember my name. Because we made history. Na 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 na. I poke Mirren with a carrot. What? You have to stop singing or I can't be responsible for my actions. Mirren turns to me, serious, pulls out the earbud. Can I tell you something, Katie? Sure. About you and Gat. I heard you two come downstairs last night. So? I think you should leave him alone. What? It's going to end badly and mess everything up. I love him, I say. You know I've always loved him. You're making things hard for him. Harder than they already are. You're going to hurt him. That's not true. He'll probably hurt me. Well, that could happen too. It's not a good idea for you guys to be together. Don't you see it? I would rather be hurt by Gath than be closed off from him, I say, sitting up. I'd a million times rather live and risk and have it all end badly than stay in the box I've been in for the past two years. It's a tiny box, Mirren. Me and mummy. Me and my pills. Me and my pain. I don't want to live there anymore. A silence hangs in the air. I've never had a boyfriend, Mirren blurts. I look into her eyes. There are tears. What about Drake Loggerwood? What about the yellow roses and the sexual intercourse, I ask. She looks down. I lied. Why? You know how when you come to Beechwood, it's a different world. You don't have to be who you are back home. You can be somebody better, maybe. I nod. 
That first day you came back, I noticed Gat. He looked at you like you were the biggest planet in the galaxy. He did? I want someone to look at me that way so much, Katie. So much. And I didn't mean to, but I found myself lying. I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. I take a deep breath. Miran snaps. Don't gasp, okay? It's fine. It's fine I've never had a boyfriend at all. It's fine if not one person ever loves me, all right? It's perfectly tolerable. Mummy's voice calls from somewhere by New Claremont. Cadence, can you hear me? I yell back. What do you want? The cook is off today. I'm starting lunch. Come slice tomatoes. In a minute, I sigh and look at Mirren. I have to go. She doesn't answer. I pull my hoodie on and trudge up the path to New Claremont. In the kitchen, Mummy hands me a special tomato knife and starts to talk. Natta natta, you're always on the tiny beach. Natta natta, you should play with the littles. Grandad won't be here forever. Do you know you have sunburn? I slice and slice, a basket full of strangely shaped heirloom tomatoes. They're yellow, green and smoky red.